hello. Anybody there? Hi, I'm here. Hey, Elena, how are you? Good. How are you, Jamie? I'm well. I'm well. Thank you so much for your time. And just to make sure, mm -hmm. Elena is correct. Elena is correct. Okay. Yes. Wonderful. Just want to make sure. <laughs> so let's get the ball rolling, shall we? Do a quick interview if you got a few minutes. Where are you at these days? So I live on the Jersey Shore. Um, I actually grew up down here and then moved away for about 16 years and then came back to raise a family with my husband, who's also from down here, who also left for a while. Oh, okay. So, yes. Where are you? I'm actually in the middle of nowhere. I'm in Wyoming. Which yes. Is, so uh... I saw that. <laughs> yeah. That's where you're from when I, but I wasn't sure if you were still there. So yeah. That's pretty... Yeah. It's, it's my favorite place to be, you know, tried the big city. Then we came back, you know, it, it kind of happens, right? You grow up someplace and then it you end does. up coming, coming back home for some reason. It's like a magnet that. It's, uh... Yeah. We, <laughs> you know, grew up by the ocean and like we need it near us mm. and it's a great place to raise our kids, but we're headed to Vermont in oh, about that right? eight years. Oh, yeah, about okay. Eight years. Wow. Yeah. So what was that like growing up by the water? What, what was that for you? So, I mean, my town is is so populated. So we, we grew up in a town by the beach, yes, but in a very competitive town sports-wise, Tom's River, um, mm, the Little yeah. League camps of 1998, I think. That was like the big thing. It's a very competitive town as far as schools and athletics. Mm. Um, and then beach just kind of served as this backdrop for surfers all you know we were all just beach babies and a lot of surfers <laughs> in the mix so yeah we had we were all such athletes but then like we'd be on the beach in the water it was that was my upbringing um <laughs> not a lot of arts and urban and i really miss that growing up and um it's starting to build down here more which is awesome um i saw that you have quite a theater background yeah yeah that's always been kind of my yeah my my calling has been uh writing and directing ever since you know i've been a kid that's all i've ever wanted to do that's so awesome and i found that much later so did my husband yeah in his path at rutgers university and my daughter just did susical this weekend at oh, our nice local how was yeah. that Oh my gosh, she was Maisie LaBird <laughs> and she just killed the she killed it. It was she was great. Um, the whole production was amazing. They do such a good job at our local theater. Mm. Um, they also established the first Pride Day four years ago. So that's coming up too. Oh, very cool. Town. They're doing a lot for the town, but I you might find it funny that I am way too old to do this show, but I'm like, you know what? screw it i'm gonna send an, an audition in anyway just to show my daughter that i'm brave oh. so i sent an audition tape in for rent <laughs> oh really <laughs> about three hours ago yeah oh that's amazing no i love that and i was just gonna ask fun. you about that yeah because one of the things that fascinates me now that i'm a dad and and i've been a dad yes. for quite a while now i'm blown away by our kids ability to constantly inspire us and push us to to do these yes. things especially with my upbringing, I always thought that I was always told that kids were going to be a difficulty, a hardship toward that creative pursuit, that creative process. And the more I, I grow up with my child, I realize that they have unlocked 
the potential that I was waiting for, that I had always been afraid of. So did, did you ever feel like that when, when you were younger, like, uh, you know, oh. uh, having a yeah. family is going to be difficult to maintain my, my creativity, so, my craft or whatever it is that you want to do? Well, here's what's interesting. My parents, as much as I love them, they're very old school Italian and they instilled a very strong work ethic in my brother and I, you know, built, but it was all about making the living so mm -hmm. yes they yeah. love the arts but anytime i would become involved in the arts you know this is just a hobby right like it was never <laughs> supported it was never celebrated when we would do it so i knew in my heart when my kids would i would be the opposite and yes that's what's happening mm -hmm. so we are doing it together between my writing and my little one's an artist the younger one mm -hmm. um painter draw she draws but the oldest was the one in the play and she's been in a few others so we do art together as a family the arts and so i think because it wasn't celebrated and supported so much mm -hmm. it wasn't it wasn't my mom was all about band i played the baritone horn <laughs> so if she liked it it was but the acting and the singing and dancing sure. You know. And I totally get that. Yeah. And <clears throat> my perspective yeah. on that was mostly because my, I come from a family of musicians, so it's almost like oh. a whole, a whole series of generations that are constantly telling you don't do what I do, but it's what you, what's, what you're calling is. And I wanted to talk to you about the clash too in London calling, because that, that was a beautiful coincidence that you mentioned about the name of the podcast and uh, <laughs> like, oh. um, I mean, it, yeah. it, it's just, you know, one of those things that I felt like I've always had a calling to write stories and it was passed down because it's my family's calling. It's what we've always oh. done. And so I, I feel like I totally get what you're saying because my mom in particular was very much like, you, you shouldn't do this, <laughs> you know, wow. like this is not, you know, of course she married a so musician. You understand. So yeah, I yeah. totally, totally get where you come from. But I think, uh, Mexican families and, and Italian American Italian yeah. families might, you know, kind of have a little bit of the same frequency when it comes to that stuff, you know? Yes. <laughs> so when yes. you were younger than, oh, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. But you're right. They, you know, they came from immigrant parents that worked many, many jobs. Yeah. And it was all about, you know, you're going to put food on the table. So the arts were not to be taken too seriously. And again, they loved music. And they, my mom is a is beautiful in sewing. She's sort of a seamstress, and mm. and there were musicians in the family. But it, but just be careful. It's just a hobby. You're not going to make money. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. I know it's it's amazing. But so when you were when you were younger, when did you start writing? Do you remember? Oh yeah, third grade. I started writing and I've always been a writer. You know, you pick it up, you put it down, you pick it up, you put it down. <laughs> That's how at least mine went. And then I put it down for a long time and I went to school for teaching and I loved being oh. in the classroom. Yeah. And it's only been about five years that I'm not in the classroom as a special education teacher. Oh, goodness. I took some private students on because um, reading instruction is my specialty. Um, but only five years I've been taking my writing super seriously and learning and actually in now I'm in publishing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I just kind of dove in five years ago and yeah. So, so I've been right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So was it being busy with, with your family, with 
teaching and this in, in your life? I mean, raising a family is a full-time job for sure. And having a full-time job is a full-time job, but what stopped you from publishing earlier? Mm. I didn't have the thirst or like that. It just wasn't, I almost forgot about it. Mm. I just almost forgot that I was, I had a skill like that because mm. I was very into a lot of other things. Like you said, raising my, my daughters and I got very into Reiki and I still am a Reiki practitioner, but not by trade. And I don't really, I don't know if you're familiar with the practice of Reiki. Just in passing, <laughs> just okay. what the internet told me. <laughs> right. So I got involved with that energy work and, and then, um, I just, I didn't think I, it had a place for me professionally writing. I just thought it was something I did to sort of express myself. And then, mm -hmm. I don't know, I started reading again a lot, piles and piles of middle grade and YA. And I thought, I can, I can do this. It's almost like I forgot about that part of myself until five years ago. And I'm very, very, very lucky. I'm not going to act like I'm not that my husband has a very solid job that I can do this. I'm very yeah. privileged in that way that I, you know, I don't have to be in the classroom anymore. And I kind of can work from home in publishing and, mm -hmm. you know, have a lot of pots on the stove there. Um, so I think it was our situation that, oh, I could do this. He was supportive of it. It was easier for our lifestyle for me to work from home in a mm -hmm. writing scenario. Yeah. And it just kind of all fell into place. Oh, I love but that. I, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I keep interrupting no. you. <laughs> no, you're not. I feel like I'm interrupting you. <laughs> no, I, it's it's uh, what happens when we get excited about, I know. Uh, <laughs> about these stories. It's but, true. So in, in particular with this book that you just published, Italian Bones yeah. in the Snow, can you tell me about how that work came together in so many words. So, well, I'll, five years ago, like I said, I started taking it seriously and I was determined to be a middle grade novelist. And I probably have five or six middle grade novels, some finished, some halfway, mm. some a third. And I started querying agents with those first. And I would get some requests and it just never came together. I couldn't, it was either I would write a book and the voice was there, but the plot wasn't right or, but, or the opposite. I just couldn't get it right. And then when, and I, I didn't give up. And then I started writing one in verse and I wanted to do the middle grade thing. And then COVID came around, we were quarantined and that winter. So November and December of 2020, it just hit me that, you know what, I'm going to put the fiction aside and I'm just going to write about things from my life. And I kid you not, Italian Bones in the Snow as a collection of, of essays and poetry, it flew out of my brain and onto my keyboard in a matter of a month. Oh, wow. It was like, it really was cosmic. I, I can't explain it. It just fell out onto the and Next thing I know, I have a collection, about 26,000 words. It's short. And I thought, you know what? What the heck? I'm going to start querying this. And it didn't take long. And Vine Leaves Press offered me a contract. And now I have a second contract with him for a short story collection mm. called Heart and Salt. Um, I have a YA novel too with Inked and Gray. Mm -hmm. That one's taken quite a bit longer. Fiction is not easy for me. <laughs> it's the nonfiction. So yeah, Italian Bones in the Snow was published February of 2022. 
I'm really proud of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And That's so, how that happened. <laughs> oh, no, I love that. And you mentioned 2020 just being such a topsy-turvy time yes. for everyone in it. I've had a couple of conversations with writers, and it seems like that was sort of a winter of introspection. And yes. everyone just went inward in this really beautiful way because it felt like all of this crazy stuff is happening and everyone is has mortality on their minds. Or I guess it's maybe just enough of a reminder for everyone to just stop, turn around, and look at what came before and, and sort yes. of what choices were made. Uh, do you feel like there are landmarks in of your life that uh, you wanted to get out, like specifically things that you wanted to get out? Absolutely. Italian Bones in the Snow is a memoir in shorts and it's broken. It's funny. I always say it should be a memoir in a snowsuit. Get it? And <laughs> my, my publisher's like, um, no, a memoir in shorts. Sell. No, it doesn't sell. It doesn't work. Um, yes, it's divided into four parts. Uh, one through four. Um, and it starts with my childhood. And there were definitely things I had to get out. And things like you said, this introspection, my obsession with the cemetery across from my bedroom, Ooh, oh, um, the, the, the Windex that I had <laughs> to um, put all over the windows before we had company, you know, um, <laughs> you know, and the smells and, and the holidays. Yeah. So the childhood and just some of the things that I thought about as a kid that were a little intense and indicative of the fact that I was a, bl a blossoming artist and didn't know what it was sometimes. Mm. Um, <laughs> some things I thought about as a kid, uh, memories of relatives. And then I get into my high school and college years and those are the pages that my mom, she pretty much didn't talk to me for a month after she read the book. Um, <laughs> very That's Italian tough, American. Huh? Yeah, it's, it's very tough. Italian American of her to be just worried about what other people would think about her daughter. And no, but she is proud in the end. She's very proud, but mm -hmm. it took her a while to come to terms with me being so transparent about my sex life in college. It was hard for her, um, which I get, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And then the third part talks a lot about my experience as an adult. And the whole thing talks about my experience as a female and a mom and the only girl in my family all around. There's no sisters, cousins, uh, mm. you know, just my mom and my aunt. You know, I'm surrounded by men. And Oh, interesting. Yeah. And, and so it did affect how I grew up and, and sort of how I view the world. Um, and then the last part's a little bit more about being a mom, but I'm, it's salty. It's a salty collection. You know, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. it just sends my mind going into a whole bunch of different directions because I, yeah. I'm fascinated by your openness and your ability to oh, not, not necessarily confront something that's good or bad in the past, but just to openly speak about it with such clarity and, and well, being okay you. with it. Given that, you know, as I've mentioned, there there might be some parallels with just the way our families might have behaved in the past. Sure. Where there there's a I don't want to say repression, but is repression the right word? The oh right, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. Um, repression. Um, passive aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> and and my parents. Listen, I had a happy childhood. I mm. did, you know. But I. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I definitely, there was repressed emotions going on with the, all the men in the family and it affected this and that. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, the women, I do feel like I am the first generation of women to hold the men accountable for things there's a lot of you know oh it's just the way he is it's such an old school way of thinking can't we all just be human beings and not men versus women and you know we're just all humans so it seemed like there was just this cultural acceptance Mm -hmm. of maybe behavior that was maybe problematic or difficult to to deal with yeah a little bit yeah 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 and i'm very subtle about it and I chose poetry to soften the blows. Um, I will tell you, though, I just finished writing a draft of a full-length memoir. <laughs> oh, really? That doesn't really hold. But yeah, it's mostly about growing up as a sensory kid before it was talked about. And, um, oh. you know, with sensory issues. Yeah. But yeah. I do get into a little bit more and I don't hold back so much about things, um, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. But but um, it, what did I want to say about Italian? Mo- Thank you for appreciating my transparency. I talk a lot about um, my, I had bilateral mastectomy in 2019. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I talk a lot about that. I'm very open about that because I'm always anxious and eager to talk to women who have questions that doctors don't always have the right answers for if they're considering options. So the book yeah. is very transparent about. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a, yeah, it's a wonderful thing because I think as you mentioned, there are a lot of people in this country or in this world who perhaps don't have that kind of transparency or openness that comes naturally to them. And so it is, it is great to hear because I think maybe during your time as an educator, you made a difference in that, in that way too, given that you, you, what was your time there like? working with with differently abled folks or or if you mm-hmm. could elaborate a little bit on that especially given your your own uh personal sensory uh situation oh that, yeah that's interesting so i that's a great great question i remember from the second i entered the classroom even before i was special educate uh, so they call it teacher um let me, let me think it's been a while um i am a certified teacher students with disabilities and yeah it's an outdated term but i do think that's still what they call it um i like different abled the way you mentioned that so i do remember from day one being in the classroom and realizing oh okay i'm this is the right profession for me i saw the kids who couldn't sit still i saw the kids who you know, you can tell they needed to be near the window and I could relate to every single one of them. So my style of teaching and reaching them was the way that I would have wanted to be reached at that age. So I always made my lessons very accessible. I made them feel like, you know, we can break the rules a little. If you're feeling like you're bored, tell me, you know, do you (laughs) want to say something? You know, I I can't stand the, the scripted lessons and you know it was all very human when i was in the classroom just letting them be themselves and you know what we're going to stop this right now we're going to take out the play-doh because i can see no one can sit still right now and i can't blame you because neither can i so yeah i do think we have to remember that as educators that you know pretend you're in their seats would you be bored in this Mm -hmm. moment 
you know, is this lesson going well? If it's not, then stop it and do something else. <laughs> so yes, it <laughs> definitely. I think I answered your question. If that's of what course, you were yeah, getting at. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious of any moments during your time teaching when you, you felt like you learned something from your students. Oh, all the time, all the time. Oh, let me think of, if I can think of a moment. I've had so many students. Oh, I remember Jake. I won't say his last name. I think it was in 2007. And he would talk about not being able to sit still. He would pretty much uh, have him his body inverted. He'd be upside down in the chair, twisted. And he'd be playing with paper clips. He'd undo them and he'd retwist them. But he could tell me everything that happened in the lesson. He didn't have to look. He just had to listen and he didn't have to sit still. And I learned right then and there, just because a child doesn't look like they're learning or paying attention, it doesn't mean they aren't. So I learned and I do this in, I would do it in staff meetings. I would doodle. I would work on writing my own writing, but I heard everything that was going on. Some people focus better when they're not totally focused. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Yeah. So Jake taught me that. Mm -hmm. I oh, hope that's... he's doing well right now. I wonder where he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and those are the things that, that fascinate me about teachers and educators. It's really yeah. in particular with, with folks with um, special needs or who are differently able, mm -hmm. there needs to be more support for them. And uh, I just, I really want to celebrate you for that and applaud you for that because it's not an Thank easy you. job. I mean, it's, it's really necessary, but a lot of those folks go, by the way, wayside in our society. And it's just great that they had somebody who could, who could understand them at that level and, and, you know, uh, give them what they needed at, during that time. But yeah. Yeah. I worked with my, the, like I said, the, the area I worked most with were children um, who had dyslexia and on a whole spectrum of some, some of it was mild, some of it was severe. And one thing I learned from them every year and all the time, is that just because a child cannot read the words in front of them, it does not mean that they are not extremely intelligent. They mm -hmm. were some of the most intelligent, creative children I've ever met. Mm -hmm. They just couldn't always read the letters in order. <laughs> and so yeah. you can never judge children from sitting with that, you know, from the way they read out loud or there's, so, we're so complicated as human beings. Mm. You know, we express ourselves in all different ways. And so, you know, you really teaching does open your mind to how the brain works mm. and how the eyes connect to the brain, to the ears, to the nervous system. It's fascinating. And some of the most intelligent, creative art, arty, um, musical people can't always read well mm. <laughs> and, and they'll still be successful. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was there a time in your, in your life, uh, creatively, artistically that you felt like you, you finally understood yourself or your perspective? Um, now, right yeah, now, right now, this moment at 45 years old, I, um, it, it's now, um, I was, I, I'm having a great experience with Vine Leaves Press. They're, they're the press that published uh, Italian Bones, and we'll also publish Heart and Salt, my short story collection. Mm. And um, the way I click with the editor in chief 
and she's entrusted me with some new responsibilities. I actually do some editing for them now oh, for awesome. one of their smaller, but yeah, I'm, this has right now is when I realize who I am as a writer and editor. Yeah. An artist. Mm. Yeah. So right did, now, did you see yourself doing that before though? Like, uh, in, before the last five years, did you ever think about that or have an inkling of it? I or knew it was going to happen someday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. I knew, I knew I would get there and that it might not be what it, what I think it will look like. And it's, it's not exactly. And I still, but I do know there's a ladder and I'm climbing it slowly, (laughs) slowly. At our own pace, right? Yes, at at my own pace. pace. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I do have to shout out to Vine Leaves because they, or Jessica Bell, I should say, she sees something in me. She gets me. I get her. She trusts me. And she, yeah. And so she's allowing me to sort of do my thing. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's nice to find a little bit of community out there, especially right now when there's just, there's a lot of animosity, animosity sometimes in the world. And one of the, one of my favorite places actually has been the Twitter writing community because I, I, you know, it's just been bananas how like a place that is so generally toxic can be so amazing in these little pockets of awesomeness like oh my gosh and as you say this i can name the people like there are very (laughs) specific individuals too that really keep that writing twitter the writing community just a place that you want to be it is really a supportive community and i agree you know people talk about negative twitter toxic i've never experienced it because i only follow writers and illustrators and readers and libraries (laughs) <laughs> an artist you're smart any kind of yeah smart um, i don't know if you, if you follow meredith ireland but she is a fantastic follow oh i will i will i'll have she's to she's a ya writer yeah um there's a lot of good ones um yeah quentin harrison mm. is another one yeah there's so many wonderful people on writing twitter mm. mm-hmm. so what Agre- you, yeah yeah you you and now joe leza Joseph Leza, I know you interviewed him, and that's yeah, it. yeah, we had a great talk. I'm oh, enjoying no, he was his tweets too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he yeah. he was a blast. But mm-hmm. you you got me thinking about YA and that type of work. What mm-hmm. draws you to that specifically? That coming of age young adult, or or perhaps that particular genre. I think it was because, um that's always the time in my life i kind of go back to um where i learned the most about myself and so there's so much to unearth there there's a lot to kind of dig through in your for me maybe the ages 16 through 23 there's a lot of digging to be done and so i'm pretty drawn to it the middle middle grade i talked about a lot too in the beginning when we started chatting Mm -hmm. that too you know there's every part of our life has just such really beautiful treasures to kind of like and not always be sometimes traumatic um but but the ya world um and I know there's all so much chatter about it too, about what makes good YA. Is YA good? You know, is yeah, it this? What is, it that? What is your oh, definition okay. of YA? Because I'm I'm looking at it from the outside and I'm always confused. Okay. Because <laughs> there's so many as definitions. As far as I know, <laughs> young adult books are read um, between the ages. Of, so the audience that's reading it is between the age of 12 and let's say 18. And so 
because kids always want to read about kids older than them, right? So mm -hmm. the 12-year-old is the youngest that would be reading YA, but a lot of adults love YA too. Mm -hmm. So you're reading about high school juniors, seniors. Yeah, that's YA. Nice. nice. The main character being <laughs> 15, 16, 17 max, sometimes even 14. That's what makes YA, who the main character is mm -hmm. and their age. Is there, mm -hmm. is there generally a nonfiction or autobiographical component to the work that you want to do in YA? So in the YA I wrote, it's called Black Licorice. And I don't have a pub date for that. That's with a smaller press, Inkton Gray, who, who I love to pieces also. I'm going to give mm -hmm. a shout out to Dakota Rain. She's my editor there. Awesome. Um, that book, yeah, it has a lot of elements from my life. I wouldn't say autobiographical just pieces bits and pieces yeah mm. i you know why because when you do that you start losing i did start to do that in my first early drafts mm. and my D dakota my editor picked up she's like this is not about you this is about freddie that's the main <laughs> character she's like i can tell you want this to be too much about you don't do it and she was right because mm. once i stopped doing it freddie came to life so you have to be careful with that you have to be careful with that. Um, yeah. It's putting like, too much of yourself. <laughs> yeah. It's mm -hmm. like you, you kind of have to get it out of your system and then you start being objective again. Right. <laughs> yes. Well, that's why I switched over when I wrote Italian bones. I'm like, oh, I can be all me all I want. This is about yeah. me. And it just started to click. So fiction's <laughs> harder for me. Yeah. Oh, no. But mm -hmm. it's, it's a great challenge. I mean, I, oh, I, I love can it. imagine, yeah, that there's a lot that you can bring to the table because you know how to push things to the edge. <laughs> it seemed like, at least from what you, you mentioned about the eighties, if you wanted to tell me about what the eighties were like, I would love oh, to boy. hear that. <laughs> what the eighties were like, Oh God, what aspect? Oh my God. Oh, music and Fact. culture. Cause we were going to talk about music too. Oh, I love. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, the, do you want me to talk about the eighties as far as my childhood, like what the things that I'm, how our parents didn't know where we were half the time because we were on our bikes. Yeah, yeah. And... Like, what was a, a typical day like for you? What were the things that that uh, got you out of bed in the morning? You know, as a kid in the eighties. Oh God, it depends on the season. Let's talk about summer. Just knowing I'd hop on my bike and be in that sun, no sunscreen, <laughs> and just be in the empty wooded lots with our neighbors. And, you know, it was our, it was our grounds, you know, we'd make forts and then we'd switch to a different neighborhood. It was just like neighborhood hopping and we could all ride to the 7-Eleven. So it was like, Ooh, can I make it to the 7-Eleven today? Can I scrounge up a couple bucks for a Slurpee? You know, where would my, you know what I loved the best about the eighties too, because I have a brother, I was a little bit of a tomboy. So I'd love to show the boys in the neighborhood up on wiffle ball. But then right <laughs> after I'd, you know, kick their butt in wiffle ball, I'd go with the girls and play with the Barbies. So I loved, I was a little show off. I think <laughs> I loved like just knowing I had a chance to sort of perform yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the neighborhood and we were just outside all the time, yeah. always outside the sitcoms too. I mean, I cannot get enough of three's company. Um, I don't know if you ever have seen an episode of Three's Company, a but I live a little bit. I lived for that show in the eighties. Yeah, I was more of a of a Golden Girls, uh, you oh. know, kind of watcher because my I have two sisters and my mom just obsessed with the show, and so I, I got to enjoy the the wonders of that show. 
Okay. So I watch it just about every day when I'm writing. Yeah. It's, I love it to pieces. I could, oh my, I could talk for days and days about this show. Yeah. What do you have a particular favorite episode? Oh man. It's, it's been so long since I've seen oh, it, but I, I oh, remember okay. growing up with it, you know? Okay. Um, but uh, okay. I was like 13, 14, you know, when uh, we were watching the reruns and stuff like that. So it, yeah. it was always like, these ladies are saucy and I'm not supposed to watch it, but because they're funny, it's kind of like, I'm allowed to watch it. You know? Right. <laughs> it's a weird permission that I know yeah. what you mean. Yeah. I watched it way too young. I mean, there's some heavy topics, but because right. the writing is so solid, mm -hmm. the comedic writing, it's yeah. so solid. And it's interesting because like, it, it, I don't want to say that like it taught, like everything I, I know about relationships, I learned from the golden girls, but it, it gave you like, kind of a sense of like what people argued about, you know, in, in older know. relationships and, you know, being at that age, I'm like, oh, so that's kind of what throws people off. And so I think that a lot of, and I hadn't thought about this, there's two models that, that I kind of go to in my head when I'm writing, because as, as I mentioned, I'm more of a, a playwright, uh, it's usually soap operas and golden girls. <laughs> and oh, it's yeah. like, I got to pick and choose what kind of elements or flavors of that I, I want to incorporate into my work. Um, right but, but there's always yeah. that main plot in the golden and then there's always the little subplot you know they never forget it and yeah. some of the funnier moments aren't necessarily related to the main right plot it's, it was usually like yeah. rose doing something or like blanche had some yes. some kind of fiasco <laughs> going on with a a lover and and it was always so, yeah do you know there's a ton of podcasts that analyze every episode what so many golden girls podcasts i recently oh, i, I got to get out there and, and and there's one called something like never enough wicker that's a good one and it's a scholarly dissection of the episode no and it's interesting they chose rose like for a reason like the hiv scare had to be rose because blanche would have been too obvious dorothy eh, not so much but hmm. but because rose was sort of the naive yeah. midwestern girl they chose her to have the blood transfusion and you know, oh, and right rose, yeah yeah right yeah. yeah i remember that also her pill addiction that's rose mm -hmm. um yeah it's it, i never thought about it this way but yeah the writing was really specifically aimed susan harris was a genius she created it mm. yeah now this but, makes me want to dig deeper because oh yeah after having a lot of these conversations i realize that there are there are pieces of work in popular culture that have influenced me so much that I only realize it when I'm talking to somebody about yes. it and that's one of those shows that makes me feel like th there is something that I that deeply affected me watching yes it, and I didn't realize it until way later on and correct you know, no there's an episode recently it's one of the many episodes where they're flash they're doing flashbacks and in what would this it must have been 1988. And Rose is talking to some, I oh, know, sorry, Blanche is talking to someone in a restaurant. She gets stood up and she's talking to this guy and he's considering proposing. And she's like, you should do it. You should do it. Then we see his boyfriend walk in. Remember, this is 1988. Mm -hmm. And Blanche says, well, love is love. And she said it a, a few times. And I'm thinking, this is 1980. This show is way ahead of its, it was just so beautifully done yeah. to have a character in 1988 yeah, say love is love oh that's yeah. that's beautiful because i love that now that you now that i i kind of think about it and try to piece it together it yeah. feels like they 
because of of the characters that they were they it i don't want to say that they got a free pass because when you're older you get a free pass or whatever mm, but I know what you it, mean. it felt like yeah i mean they they have lived so much life that they know better you know to to not get hung up on certain cultural things that were yeah but there's some there's some boo-boos in the series you know there's well, Sophia, yeah guess, yeah with, yeah, with anything I mean, it's not perfect some things but... don't age well yeah yeah um, some things you know what show doesn't age well oh what? god <laughs> friends Oh Lord. Yeah. Yeah. I friends did not age well, <gasps> Oof. but I mean, that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. Yeah. We we'll talk. have to get into that. So can you tell me about some bits of music that influenced you or maybe that influenced you when you were younger? Oh boy. So I have a whole chapter devoted to, well, when I say chapter, a very short chapter in my book, because it's a <laughs> memoir in shorts, <laughs> um, Italian bones in the snow, uh, dedicated to Madonna, big, big Madonna fan. And I always, you know, I hate that I say this, but you know, she's, I don't agree with everything she's been doing on. She's, you know, she's getting older. She's feeling needy. She, I love her to pieces. I will always defend her because she's always, you know, promoting and doing, she's on the correct side of history. If you ask me, you know, she's, mm. she does, she has a lot of beautiful things in her life. Um, so Madonna influenced me, but then as I got older, it was Tori Amos. I'm a big Tori Amos mm. fan. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's her all. I've seen her fourteen times. Oh, goodness! She's got yeah, fifty. Lucky. Which is no. Listen, why do you like her? Are you a fan? She's she's pretty great. I mean, I, okay. I'm a fan of a of live performance and concerts, but uh, she's she's insanely talented. I love her yes. concept albums. Uh, later yes. on, when she started getting into those, yes. So. Yeah, I think she just, I think she's up to 15 or 16 studio albums. Don't quote me on that. Mm. I don't love the most recent, but, you know, I, it's just, I can't say enough about her influence on me. I mean, she's a poet. She's a dreamer. She's a beautiful um, pianist. She, mm. yeah, she plays with the big boys and she's just, a, yeah, a huge influence. Um, I'm also very very much uh a fan of ani defranco mm. um but then i also have a side to me i love bush you know bush yeah the 90s. yeah that's right i, I love them i love them yeah no, i that's love them definitely mm. more my speed i i ended up uh you know watching a lot of mtv when i was uh, mm -hmm. just before the transition into like early 2000s hip-hop you know and, mm -hmm. and that sort of thing which is which is cool because i i love the music videos of anything you know that's mm -hmm. my favorite thing, but uh, I do remember singer songwriters yeah. were still a thing, and, yeah. and they could take risks and they could do cool stuff with their with their uh, visuals. But uh, that mm. was the world I want to inhabit all the time. It's like oh, the yeah. convergence of music and storytelling, like in some oh, way, yeah. like that's just the sweet yeah. spot, I think. So, what are you uh, looking forward to? What are you looking forward to in your writing, in life, for the future? What's, what's down the road? So I've had a, such a good experience with so many uh, literary magazines. You know, I have a lot of pieces published and, and my two uh, indie presses, Inked and Gray and Vine Leaves. And I've got, like I said, the three first books out, two more down. The, but what I really want to do in this industry is I want to get the middle grade novel right. I want to get it right. <laughs> I want to write a really beautiful, I'm working on one now. I'm always working on one. 
this could be the one. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I want maybe an agent. Mm. Um, not that I think I need one because I love the indie press, but I want to see what could happen maybe if I do write that middle grade and maybe get some commercial, maybe mm. success. Yeah. So that's, I'm that's not going to nice act step. like, you know, I love the indies and, you know, go small press, but yeah, you know, maybe someday get an agent and have a book that, you know, can make me a little money and also that I'm proud of and that says something important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So in your writing, what does that look like now? What kind of routine do you have as your, your primary focus now? What does your day look like in your writing process these days? Mm. So I mentioned that I've been entrusted with a, a it's called 50 give or take it's an email subscription publication mm. through vine leaves press it's 50 word microfiction so i'm the editor of that so i usually spend about an hour a day maybe two working on that and then i work on i'll choose between the memoir draft that i finished the full length or the middle grid i'm working on and sometimes i set a timer <laughs> <laughs> so that I don't get too distracted and I'll do sprints. I'll do 20 minute sprints to complete, you know, maybe a word count goal every day. And some days I don't write. Some days I just read because reading new uh, books in the genre you're writing is just as important as writing. Mm. So I read a lot of um, middle grade and, and I, I love audiobooks too. So that's always put into my day. Um, Sometimes I work at home and sometimes I'm too distracted. So I have to go to the local coffee shop <laughs> to do it. Otherwise I'll watch. There's so many choices on Apple TV right now. I can't oh, yes. even deal with it. <laughs> yeah. So lastly, I'm curious of artistically, creatively, the things that keep us going, right? The, the mm. little bits of inspiration that get us hyped. So I mm. ask everyone, what, what have the arts and in particular writing, what has it done for you and your quality of life? And what could you share to a listener who might be interested in starting a creative journey? So the thing with writing is if you're not willing to learn what you're doing wrong and listen to feedback, then don't bother. Um, you really need a tough skin to, to be in, in any aspect of publishing because you, you know, you'll, you have to change things and you have to change your writing and you have to think about things in a new way and learn. I mean, there were times where, when I was working on the YA black licorice that I was pulling my hair out and just crying and thinking, I can't do this. I've hit my limit, but I didn't. And it's okay to get to that point, but it, it's important to finish. It's important to finish and be open to learning and be flexible and truly to take a break from it, you know, and, and not listen to what everyone else is doing on their journey. Some people do write every day and others don't. I think it's okay to have your own sort of system. It takes time to figure it out too. Yeah. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, Elena, I want to thank you so much for taking the time thank to you. hang out with me for a little bit and share some awesome stories, but I'm really looking yeah. forward to to your work. And I want to thank you for everything that you've done, not just in your teaching and education, uh, but also in your writing and the good that oh, you want to bring you. into the world. 
and of course for raising more artist kids <laughs> because we we need people to balance out you know especially during well thank you for doing what you do which is to just find the artists and be the artists <laughs> and put it out there so thanks for cruise folio awesome i love it i really appreciate it hope we can talk again soon when you have your next publication yes. out and i'll look out for everything that you're doing but once again Thank you. same yeah you're same. awesome hope we can catch up and i'm sorry we didn't talk about antiques we're gonna have to talk <gasps> about antiques next time oh yes okay well enjoy wyoming and its weather and everything that's there and uh i'll yeah. do the same here you enjoy the New sun Jersey. <laughs> okay have a great night jamie you too take care bye bye Thank you.